I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Today, my guest is Carew Papritz. He's an author, and we're going to be talking about the shifting role of fathers in modern America. Parental roles have fluctuated throughout modern history. COVID has shifted that paradigm once again. Many fathers have transitioned to working from home or unfortunately not working at all. Both, however, presented fathers with greater opportunities to not only spend more time with their children, but also have a more proactive role in parenthood. With the end of the pandemic in sight, we hope, and the world returning to normalcy, we also hope... Uh, Fathers now face concerns over how much time they can dedicate to their children and what effect that will have. According to educational thought leader and author Karu Papritz, positive male role models are vital to a child's development now more than ever. And studies show having a close relationship with your father is directly associated with an adolescent psychological well-being. Uh, his writing, uh, Papers' writing, has been published in a number of media outlets, such including HuffPost, Reader's Digest, The Insider Magazine, HR.com, and First Time Parent Magazine. Welcome to the show, Peru. Catherine, it's great to be on your show. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about the shifting role of fathers in modern America, and I guess kind of specifically related to the pandemic. Um, which I think uh, talked a little bit about in the intro, because the paradigm is shifting. Uh, fathers have spent more time with their kids at home because you know during the pandemic and quarantine, and now they're going to be not there as often as they were, and that has a, a real impact on the kids, right? So, um, Ab- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we, as I understand it, you're saying it, it's it's a negative impact. It's not a good thing. Well, it's, no, it's been a fascinating experiment. I mean, I think this is, I mean, we're just completing this amazing social experiment. I mean, when we as a world were, you know, we were all forced to slow down and even, you know, stop on a dime. And then we went from, you know, 24-7 busy, and then we were literally all forced to smell the roses whether we want to or not. But I think the uh, profound part was this family experiment. We had to learn to be families again in a way that our sort of fragmented, hyper-busy lives have, did not allow us to be in, in forever. And so I think what was happening is his fathers learned, learned what it truly meant to be a father. That quality time didn't mean uh, just pockets of time being given up between the rush of work and, say, Saturday soccer games. Um, it meant it meant sustained hours of being part of the daily rhythm of their kids' lives. And so they learned, um, I think they learned about both the beauty and the difficulty of raising kids in a way that, that they, they haven't in a long, long time, if, for, if, if ever. Yeah, let's talk about the beauty and the difficulty. Because, you know, I hear, as you mentioned, you know, before COVID, parents were all over the constantly on the move and doing all kinds of things. They hardly got to actually be or have quality time with their kids. But then COVID and then some parents are saying, oh, this is terrible because I'm with my kids all the time and they're not in school and they're not playing with their friends. And this is so bad. And, you know, it's like, um, what's the good, what's a good balance yeah, that work-life balance that you know we constantly talk about, and I think that was one of the the, the the biggest things that COVID really 
put in perspective for people. I think that's part of the reason, you know, we have this thing about people going back to work now. It's because of unemployment, because of all this. I think there's a lot of people are just like, you know what? I really don't want to go back to the way I was doing it before. I think a lot of people are like that. I, anecdotally, I talked to, you know, quite a few people and, and there's this shift like, you know what? That was, that definitely wasn't working. Let's see if we can't, uh, you know, again, shift the paradigm and, and, and do it differently. Because that, that busy, busy life, again, 24-7, it just felt like uh, you're just inundated with, with rushing from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, and no one just had a chance to, to enjoy life yeah. and enjoy uh, their families and to, to understand what it was to raise a family. And, and uh, you know, maybe some of those older values of slowing, slowing down and actually enjoying your family. Remember why you're having kids in the first place. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I do remember when my kids were younger. I mean, that that really sort of pinpoints the whole thing. I, I was we're going from one activity to another, homework, and I'm thinking they're telling you to have quality time with your kids. I have three kids. I can't do quality time. There's no time left. So you're just yeah. you know all yeah all over the place. But now specifically fathers, because that's what we're talking about, right? Fathers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and you're a fa- you what you're you have a son who's in high school. Yeah, son is in high school, going into sophomore year, and he he said the other day, I can't believe I'm a sophomore, and I'm like, <laughs> and my, my retort was, yeah, I can't believe you're a sophomore, too. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Catherine, I think, what's, I think what's interesting from a father's perspective is, um, and I think the two biggest takeaways that that I saw with um, coming out of the pandemic, or during the pandemic, was, I think fathers realized how much it took to raise a family and run a household. So I think in many respects, they've come to appreciate their spouses more. And as a result, they begin to share those burdens more equally, or, or hopefully this case. And they also realized how much time, uh, this is the critical part, how much time they were not spent um, involved in raising their kids and how much they were missing out on. So, yeah, it might have been difficult, but uh, for a, for the, a lot of parents to be in close quarters with their kids, but at the same time, I think they realized, wow, this is this is a a difficult deal, and so I think fathers really got um, uh, an eyeful in how much effort it takes to do this well. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, you know, that's interesting because I haven't heard anyone say that. But so, because you're you're so right, I don't think that perhaps um, fathers have appreciated like mothers are working and taking care of the kids and doing all this, and it really comes out as complaining and and uh, whining and nagging, uh, you know. Uh, and, and, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and and what you're saying is, you know, hey, we need to really respect that role, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, and it's, and I think, Catherine, there's something that's been fascinating relative to this too. And, um, is the role of the stay at home father, uh-huh. um, in the last 10 years or so. And I began to see this on commercials when you would see the father doing the washing, um, or doing, you know, taking care of the kids. i I think there's one with diapers where he's out walking in the park and it's much more, you know, like, ah, he's changing the diapers. And I was, I've been fascinated watching that development over the last, uh, I want to say 10 years or so. 
And um, now I think it's it's interesting in that change, um, again, not just COVID, but um, how the, there's there's this conversation going on in the family. It's like the, 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 the woman or the, the spouse wants to go out and be the doctor, be the, the breadwinner, and the, the father's staying home taking care of this. And there's it's interesting how people view that and um, and how men deal with it. It's, uh, once again, just really fascinating out there. Yeah, and don't you think different generations uh, view it differently? Um, I mean, I have a mother who goes to the... Who, goes to the grocery store and is like, what are these men doing in the grocery store? <laughs> well, they're... Oh, oh uh, yeah. Trust me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember, well, being a writer, I'm I'm primarily at home. So, yeah. you know, I take care of that in that neck of the woods. And, uh, oh, yeah, I can remember getting those those looks like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, geez, man. It's all, it's all sharing, isn't it? It's all carrying the weight equally. Yeah. Well, okay, let's talk about role models because that's what, you know, you write about that and um, mm-hmm. it's really important for for kids to have, uh, or are we saying it's important to have sons who, you, that fathers are their role models and, and um, that's critical, maybe more important than we've thought. Um, uh, so can, can you kind of touch on that? Yeah, I think it's sort of the... Um... I think it's, you know, I mean, of course, we call it modeling, right? I mean, yeah. that's the, the parenting experts and psychologists call it, but I just call it walking one's talk, you know, that, that dads really need to show their kids, um, both, at, well, for their sons and for their daughters, um, uh, relative to, let's say, again, during the COVID time period, how everyone shares in the burdens and the joys of being a family. And um, I remember my dad would cook dinner. He was a teacher, my, both my folks were teachers, um, but there were many nights when he would come home and make dinner. And, you know, I never thought twice about it. Um, I was just, that's how I learned to cook. And my mom was a, was a darn good cook, but um, I cook now, my son sees it, you know, I, he's involved with that. So I think it's one of those things where you just sort of walk your talk. This is the norm, and this is how you care for your family. So um, everyone shares equally in the in the the weight of this enterprise of of growing a family, and as it changes and whatnot. And I think when kids see that, um, I, I, it passes. Oh, well, of course, it passes on, but it passes on in a really good way. So that it's not just you know, one person, it's not just, oh, you're the breadwinner and you're the one that stays home. It really is. It, it, it takes all of us to do this, to do this yeah. well. And, and I think what you're saying is it's also, it's, it's not just, it is cooking dinner and going to the grocery store and doing those kinds of things, but also it establishes a relationship and kids, when they hurt themselves or when they're feeling sad or when they need, you know, emotional support, it would seem to me when you're, doing that as a dad, then the kids are going to come to you, not come to dad and not just to mother for that kind of emotional support because they see you in a whole different light. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, I think, yeah. and I think that's, um, I think that's, I think that's truly changed in the last, uh, I don't know, 40 years or so. Um, you know, dad's the, 
the more stoic one or, you know, you take care of these. He's the problem solver, just like, hey, I got this problem with the bike. I got this problem. But, hey, if it's the uh, emotional side of things, you definitely go to mom. So I think that's that's great, especially for our sons to to be able to see that because, I, you know, that directly uh, affects their mates down the road and how they're going to communicate. So I think it's all, all good that there's more and more communication. I think you, you can never have enough and you can never have enough um, of kids watching how to communicate. I talk to my son about that all the time. I said, this is, this is literally is one of the most important things you will do in your life is, is both listen and talk well. Yeah, that's well said. I like that. The only, and, uh, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And you have just one thing that the, the millennials do that bothers me is when they say, and I want you to address this because I have discussions about this all the time, but when <laughs> I can hardly, says, I can hardly wait. <laughs> do you know what I'm going to say? Well, no, it's like when they say we're, we're pregnant and I'm always like, now we're not pregnant. <laughs> I mean, only one person can be pregnant. We can both be parents. And yeah. we, but we, so and it's sort of like I feel like women are, you've kind of gone a little too far. I mean, pregnancy is a physical state. And it's sort of, all right, I want you to comment on that because that drives me crazy. Oh, gosh. It <laughs> drives me crazy, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, you know, that definitely, that's funny because isn't that generational? That really yes. is. But yes. when I first heard that, I was like, really? I, mm-hmm. I mean, that's nice that you think that this extends to this, you know, this uh, familial cohesion. Oh, we're doing this together. And I'm going, buddy, I mean, you have no yeah. clue. <laughs> <laughs> you have really no clue. So, I, you know, I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't figured a way sort of around that. I just give kudos to the woman because I'm like, you are, you're carrying the, the lion's share of this. Um, one thing that was interesting and within the pregnancy, when my wife was pregnant um, and she had had children from other, uh, other marriages, my, my stepkids and great, great kids. And so they, um, but one of the things she said, she says, it's really, really important that you communicate with me. You are my, you have my back during the pregnancy. And I was always um, like, Oh, I'll, you know, I have no problem doing this. And she says, I want you to take classes. And I was like, oh, I'm a guy. I don't take pregnancy classes. And I thought, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Roll it back around. Let's shift this. Like she's the one carrying the kid. You can, the least you can do is, you know, do these classes. So it was an adventure and learning how to breathe and, and do all that. But boy, when it came down to brass tacks, um, I was really, really glad to do, you know, to be her eyes and ears during that amazing process. So yeah, she's pregnant, but um, I, I definitely was the backup person. You were the backup. <laughs> so Both having a bit. As parent, you're having a baby, but that's different than being pregnant. Yeah. Maybe that's what we're saying, right? So yeah, you're like there. That. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you, Catherine. We'll figure this one out eventually. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm hearing it more and more, and I'm thinking my, of myself in labor. I don't. I'm the only one who's pregnant here. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. So, all right. So you, we haven't really talked about your book, the Legacy Letters. Um, so that is a multi-award-winning book, 
And uh, talk to mm-hmm. us about that. Well, real quick, and uh, the Legacy Letters is a fictional series of letters written by a father who would never live to see his kids, and these letters become their practical, moral, and spiritual guidebook for the rest of their lives. They're brought up with these letters. So um, the, the sort of fictional backstory of it is is that they receive these letters on their 10th birthday and uh, grow up with them the majority of their lives, and when they're older, they decide, oh, what, we want to share these letters with the world. So what you're getting is this this smaller book, which is sort of a... T- cross between Tuesdays with Maury, for those of you who have read the book, and Chicken Soup of the Soul. And, uh, and it's, uh, this is 40 of the over 200 letters that the father had left behind. So this is sort of an introductory to, to what, uh, what he has to say about life. And so it's sort of, uh, it's, it's a back to basics book. It's uh, one man's or one person's opinion really on how to live life to the fullest. And uh, I, I started the book, um, I used to work in the film industry uh, in Hollywood, and I just sort of found that that lifestyle was the old, the bright lights, you know, of, of Hollywood and, and running yourself ragged in that world. And spiritually, I just felt like, wow, this is a dead end. So um, my granddad had a small ranch when I was growing up. Um, I ended up doing a walkabout or a driveabout around the West and um, ended up on a small, uh, in a small three-bar town, as I like to call it, in, in southern Arizona, asked for work, and they said, yeah, there's work, you know, out on this ranch. And so I said, great. So I knew how to, how to at least put fence posts in. And after that point, I was in this sort of solitude, a Walden Pond time, and I picked up the pen again, which I hadn't done in years, and started writing. And so that's, uh, that's where the book started, having, having an early midlife crisis, which I suggest definitely have them early. That's great. All right, so you you did that, yeah. and also, um, I mean, you, uh, you've done a number of things. I mean, uh, your YouTube videos, uh, and what? And so, what are the YouTube videos about? Yeah, the YouTube. Well, so as a result of the book, um, and having done uh, a number of book signings, I'm I'm a person who loves to be outdoors. I love to be active, and so I found the passivity of. I mean, I love talking to people. And signing books, but I thought, God, there's got to be another way I can sign books and, and have fun doing it. And so I decided to take this central tenet of the book, you know, to live life to the fullest and really walk the talk of the book. And so I started doing these, what I call first ever book signings. So I do uh, a book signing on top of a volcano, such as Mount St. Helens, um, a book signing on top of a horse. Uh, we did it going into Barnes and Noble, um, a whistle stop tour um, on a glacier, river rafting and all these. And people say, why are you doing that? And I said, look, this is what this book's about, living life to the fullest. So that was one aspect. And, and continuing to do those book signings had to take a little bit of pause during COVID. And the other one was the, um, the I Love to Read series. So I'm a big advocate of, of getting kids excited about reading. And so I decided once again to sort of take this, this book idea. And, um, for example, I'll be on one of the first ones I ever did was, uh, on the, on the back of the horse that I used to cowboy on, which is called Boots. And, uh, I'll be reading my book, The Legacy Letters. And I go, I love to read and I love to ride. Boom. And we off we go. And then he's galloping or I love to read and I love to ski or I love to climb or I love to, be in New York or in Athens or in, or whatever the case is, or fly fishing. I mean, there's a whole number of things. So kids, um, 
they sort of say, well, wow, wow, what's that guy doing? And why is he doing it? Where is he doing it? So I get sort of geography. I get a bit of writing in. I get a bit of excitement. And it's sort of a backdoor way to get kids to ask about writing. And, you know, I'm approaching it through YouTube, but I'm doing it in a way that gets kids um, excited about it. And uh, it's it's been wonderful. We've got uh, millions of views off of it, which is always nice as, a, as an author. But um, it's a lot of fun. So if you go to CareWTube, that's C-A-R-E-W-T-U-B-E, it pops right up and you can see all these fun videos. That is so creative. I love it because you do think, you know, I love to read and the, and the kid's thinking I love to read, but you're sitting in some library really not loving to read or in a, you know, <laughs> as you say, in the bookstore and not being able to talk. And so you're just combining these very active kinds of activities with, I don't want to say passive, but like with reading and writing. That's, that's unique. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, and it's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun. And, I, and that's the thing I want to bring back to reading. Reading's fun. And, you, and really what I want kids to do is I want you to be outdoors and I want you to read. So I think that's the central message that's going on here. And they're going, well, if this guy can do it, you know, once again, we're walking our talk. If this guy can do it, well, I can do it. That sounds, that looks like a fun thing rather than being forced to read, which I think is, you know, like taking cough medicine. So, I, <laughs> so it's, it's been good. Yeah. You know, the other, the old way is, can be very painful for kids because they want to get up and get outside and go do stuff. So um, oh, that's great. So you, um, well, I think we've mentioned a couple of the websites, but what other any other websites we should go to because you are doing yeah, so many. Yeah, I think I just, yeah, yeah. The uh, thelegacyletters.com is an easy way to get there, and um, if you just look up Carew Papritz, um, Twitter, Instagram, all those things, you know, Facebook, you can definitely uh, you know sign on board and uh, see what we're doing with all the the different activities. Again, COVID's been a little bit quiet this last year, but we're going to try to come out with a bang and and get more of the I Love to Read stuff going on. Um, hopefully this fall we've got up, oh, I don't know, gosh, about 30 new videos coming out that were saved up over the years. So uh, those will be fun. And, um, yeah, get kids just excited again about being back in school and, and again, reading and doing this. And i got to say one more last thing, Catherine. Yeah, go ahead. We started Nas- National Thank You Letter Day on November 16th. And so... Um, you say, what's National Thank You Letter? Well, it's to bring back the, the art and craft of writing thank you letters, especially during the month of thanks, during November. Um, we created the world's largest handwritten thank you letter at our uh, local uh, elementary school. And if you go to nationalthankyouletterday.com, you can see all that. And what do you do with a thank you letter? Well, you have to send it. So we ended up sending it through the post office with the world's largest stamp, world's largest envelope, and we sent it to our sister school um, a few miles down the road. And uh, that's really something to see. And we actually took it out on the football field, and you can see it. There's a great uh, drone video of seeing all the kids standing around both the letter and the envelope and whatnot. So every year it's to, it's to get the the word out about writing thank you letters and all of what that means. Again, national thank you letter day.com. That's great. Yeah. Because I thought thank you letters were dead. And, but <laughs> this is definitely a revival. Kids are never writing thank you notes anymore. That's, that's fair. That's great. All right. Well, um, I want to mention the name of the book again. 
which um, the legacy letters and you, uh, the everybody, letters. yeah, and everybody has all the websites. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, yeah, Catherine, thank you so much. It was great being on. Great having you, Karu Papritz. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 